Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're in Arizona. And that means you're in Arizona with us. Doug Lee-Marie, Statham Baird, Stephen Means in a hotel room at the Media Hotel. We had interviews on Tuesday. We're recording this Christmas Eve. We talked to Kevin Wilson, Greg Madison, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, Tuff Borland, J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields, and Ben Victor, and a bunch of Clemson people, too. We haven't talked to you guys since last week. We're going to get into your text question. We're going to do daily updates from Arizona before the game on the 28th. So thanks to you guys for listening in and to being part of Buckeye Talk all year. I'll find some questions. You guys say hello to the people. Hello, people. This is Nathan. <laughs> um, That's my holiday greeting from Arizona, which has not been the golden paradise that I was led to believe it would be. Although it's still very nice out here. The scenery is pretty great. Um, it's better than looking at the, the dirt fields between Ohio and Illinois as I drive home. Honestly... I, I, we came out here thinking we were going to escape Ohio weather, and somehow Ohio got Arizona weather in December, and we got Ohio, and Arizona got Ohio weather in December. So, I'm, I'm pretty like, you know, down about that. But everything else has been pretty cool. All right, here we go. This is an important thing we need to get into. We have a lot of. Uh, Actually, before we get to a question, let me reset something from our last podcast because I got some feedback on this. Some people felt from our last podcast like we were making it out that Ohio State has no chance to win this game. And I think in that podcast we said of the four units, offense, defense on both sides, that the Clemson defense is probably the weakest, even though the Clemson defense is still good. I think we definitely in that podcast said it's a toss-up. We don't know which way it's going to go. I guess I understand maybe how some of you feel that way because I think we spent more time talking about what Clemson does well because you don't know that as much. You know what Ohio State does well. So we probably said 10 times more good things about Trevor Lawrence than we did Justin Fields. It doesn't mean we think Trevor Lawrence is 10 times better than Justin Fields, but you know why Justin Fields is good. We're trying to let you in on why Trevor Lawrence is good. Do you guys think we possibly gave that vibe? Because again, got some tweets and some textures who kind of felt that. Well, no. The other thing, though, is that this 
opponent is the most dangerous opponent Ohio State's played all year. This is the one that just looking at it on paper going in is the one that they're most susceptible of losing of any game that we've seen them play by like another degree. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the, To me, this is just a completely different kind of matchup than any they've faced so far this season. Um, so, again, that saying that doesn't mean any of us are guaranteeing Clemson a win, but I think it's just trying to reinforce the the difference in competition level that it appears that you're, we're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, I think the, the difference is like with the first 13 games, you could just kind of poke a hole and go, yeah, but Ohio State's a better team because they're a more talented team. Or with Wisconsin, it's, well, we all know what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball, and they don't really have success doing that against Ohio State. Michigan hadn't beat Ohio State in seven years, and that's probably going to continue. It was always something where we could very easily, without even doing any research <coughs> really even knowing anything, be able to come to a conclusion on like how the game was going to go. I mean, this is the first time because of the word talent equated, we genuinely do not know how this game is going to go. Clemson's good. All right. Question uh, from the 843. Is it possible Justin Fields could be painting his need to be worse than it is? Nathan, you wrote this yes. story. We sort of talked about this in a ha-ha way, but just make sure people have a baseline of what Justin Fields said about his left knee on Tuesday. Justin Fields says he, today, as of Tuesday morning, felt, quote, 80-85%. He did talk with some level of frustration, was the word I would use, in that he thought he maybe should be farther along than he is, or that he thought he would feel better than he does, that he maybe thought that he would have more spring in that leg, or maybe not be the right word, but just some more just just juice, whatever. Like, he'd feel a little bit looser, able to get out there and really open it up. He talked like he hasn't missed any practice reps, but has maybe not taken as many of those reps at hundred you know, full speed as he has. Now, what's the first thing I said to you after we got done with interviews, Stephen, was that I don't know if Justin Fields is being 100% correct with this. Because I don't... I mean, I hope he is. But there's nothing to be gained from him telling us his knee is not in good shape. Um, Is he possibly sandbagging a little bit? I don't know. I'm not even saying that in like a uh, pejorative way. I I think he has every right to do that. Um, And and there's some gamesmanship involved in these things. So, again, when he says 80-85%, to but he's going to have the brace. And he brought both of his braces. He's also talking about... Playing with this is one thing that did kind of tip me off that maybe it's not that dire. He says he's going to play with the brace that he started the Michigan game with, or he mm-hmm. probably is. That's what he wants to do, and he's saying that already at this point in the week. Well, why wasn't he allowed to play with that brace? It wasn't really his decision as much as it was the medical decision. That's why he went back into put the bigger brace on to go back into the Michigan game. I'm sure that they had a say in which brace he used for the Wisconsin game. If they're telling him his knee is okay to use the smaller brace. The, the less rigid, less protective brace, then that tells me his knee is probably not a huge concern going into Saturday, with the caveat that it may still affect his play, but I don't know if it's going to be anything close to a, a debilitating problem. But to that, he he had the bigger brace on today when we watched him in practice. He did. So I, I don't... like. I, I don't know. Maybe he's like, ex- maybe he's being over exaggeratory and how like you. Yeah, you're right. He did look a little frustrated, and he, it's because like, maybe he thinks he should be farther along. But also because he's getting ready to play. He's a game away from playing for a national championship game, and he's dealing with an injury, which is I mean, yeah, you're an athlete. It's probably very very annoying. But I I think 
I don't know. Like you, you didn't. You're not getting hit today, even if it was a full contact practice or a quarterback. You're not getting hit today, and they had you in the heaviest brace you could be in. So I, it's if if you were going to wear the smaller brace on Saturday, they would already have him in that brace right now. So he's getting used to it, and he's taking reps with it. So I don't know. It's, I don't know that that's true. I mean, you wear the bigger brace to be safe, and then it's like swinging a bat with a donut on it. Yeah. But then you put the smaller brace on, and you feel great. I will say. Just watching him, I tried to watch him as much as possible in the tiny little window we had. I wouldn't say he did not look a hundred percent to me. He did not look like he was moving as a completely healthy person. Now, on the other hand, he did not move like an injured person at all. He did everything, but he. I just thought if you said, "Look out at that guy. I see a hundred percent. Like that guy. I see a hundred percent. That guy. I see a hundred percent." I think on a list of something like that. I would guess that Justin Fields is not 100%. And it feels like, to me, this is like a normal thing. Everybody's kind of hurt at this time of the year, but I bet you he kind of thought, once I rest it, I'll be fine. And he's still feeling it a little bit. And he thought he would be done feeling it at all. So I'm sure he's a little frustrated with that. I will say, too, though, he he also, like, he said, we asked him, like, somebody asked him, when does it really hurt? And he said, when "When I'm sitting down for a long period of time, which I don't think was a dig at the media who he'd been sitting and talking to for 40 minutes at that point. He says, when I'm sitting and just sitting on it for a long period of time, and then I stand to get up and move, that's when it hurts the most. Um, That's not something he'll have to deal with on Saturday. He'll be up and mobile and walking around and and looser in that situation. And and, um, I also, he also said something along the lines of, um, I think the adrenaline will help. Like you get kind of that burst of adrenaline for the game, in theory, on Saturday before the game. And he thinks that that, whatever, that might negate some percentage of the discomfort that you feel from it. So let's continue with this from the 216. Are they going to try to protect? fields by keeping him out of the planned running game or are they going to just roll the dice and pray they've got to just play him if, they, if he's going to play he's going to have to just play and they're going to have to use him in the run game as much as they have to use him in the run game to win this is what urban meyer would always tell you you run the quarterback as much as you need to run the quarterback to win now you can tell the anecdote about you know i don't think justin fields is dying to be involved in the run game and if they don't need him he's fine not running but i think they're going to need him some yeah and they're going to have to run him some. And it just feels like to me all of this is he's going to be fine right until he gets hit. Like, he's going to be fine, but it feels like maybe he's going to be a little more open to re-aggravation than if he was 100% healthy. And maybe we'll see a moment where, like, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine, he's out of the game for two plays because something happened. And he's either got to change the brace or he's got to get double-checked. That would be my assumption based on—I didn't talk to Justin Fields barely at all, but based on the way you're describing it— if I'm an Ohio State fan, I would say I'm going to go into the game thinking Justin Fields is fine. He's going to be used normally, but he might be more prone to a little something because he's not completely 100%. And I think also it could be as far as how the game plan unfolds. I think you go in with a plan, and then if you have to adjust based on what his knee will let him do, you do that then. But I, also, I don't think you go in – I agree with you. You have to have that element on the table and probably show it – even somewhat early to keep Clemson honest. This is, again, and we'll probably talk a little bit about this Clemson defense relative to other Clemson defenses the last few years, and that was a conversation today. It's still a really, really strong defense, and I think they're going to need that threat there to to be able to fully maximize the other things in the offense as they have all season. I don't think Justin Fields has to run that much. I think he has to be a threat to run. Yes. And as soon as they recognize, oh, he's not running, that changes things. As long as he's a threat, which I imagine he will be, I think Ohio State will be fine. But 
if he stays down at the end of a play for an extra three seconds, you're allowed to hold your breath a little bit. Two questions, one from the 208, one from the 407, and we'll lump them together. From the 208, these teams look evenly matched. Where is the hidden mismatch and to whose advantage? And from the 407, what do you think is our greatest advantage in this matchup? Where's our greatest disadvantage? So I'm not going to worry about biggest or best or hidden or whatever. Let's just talk about where each team may have an edge. And we've been talking about this. This isn't, they're so similar in a lot of ways. They really are. I mean, they really are. Ohio State secondary is great. Clemson says it's the best back seven of the Dabo era. They have maybe the two best quarterbacks in college football. They have two great running backs. Mm -hmm. Clemson has some better receivers. And Ohio State has a better defensive line. And I think like that's where like probably, you know, they both have, I think, good offensive lines that aren't perfect. Right? Clemson has four senior starters on the, on the offensive line. They have Jackson Carmen. Ohio State's offensive line is good. Sometimes they're, every now and then there's something in pass protection that comes up. I think they're really good run blockers. I think the most obvious things are Clemson, Isaiah Simmons is good. They move him around. We get that. Clemson doesn't have Chase Young. Ohio State doesn't have T. Higgins. I think like that's the, where, the, where the greatest yeah. separation yeah. is. And if you're going to say, well, then what is it? All right. Well, the T. Higgins slash Justin Ross, they're too big, athletic, big. And that's when I asked Greg Madison about their receivers. Size, size. Go yeah. up and catch a ball. If, if the Clemson receivers go nuts, Ohio State's in trouble. If Chase Young goes nuts, Clemson's in trouble. And a lot of the other stuff is in the same range in my mind. I will say, though, I agree with that. But I, that's where it kind of comes back to, I was going to say, the defensive line for Ohio State is where there might be the biggest advantage, and Chase Young in particular, because Chase Young, even though he's not a defensive back, can affect where Clemson has the advantage with those receivers in a way that Clemson's receivers can't really take Chase Young out of the game, if that makes sense. I would say... and. Clemson's defensive line isn't what it's been in the past. It's just it's just younger. Like Venables talked about, it's like they're going to be good next year, but this year they're just young. While with Ohio State, their weakest unit on the defensive side of the ball is probably the linebackers. If we're going to be honest here, and like we've seen some tackling issues in the last couple of games, and you can't arm tackle Travis Etienne because he's going to take it fifty yards for you. And for for Ohio State, they might be able to control the line of scrimmage a little bit just because of that offensive line, what they've been able to do run blocking, and because of the fact that Clemson's defensive line is so young and inexperienced, they might be able to control the line of scrimmage a little bit more. But the other side of that, like these two running games, might be able to have a successful day because of some of these weaknesses. Uh- I think the tackling thing, Greg Madison was asked about that. I think there's a belief that that was a team getting a little tired at the end of a, of a tough stretch. Mm-hmm. That they played probably their three tough, their three toughest games. Because Wisconsin on a neutral field and Wisconsin hit them harder. Wisconsin on a neutral field was harder than Wisconsin in Ohio Stadium. Yeah. And so Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, the Big Ten title game is their three toughest games. I think they got a little tired. I think they have a belief that most of the tackling issues are attributed to that. It's funny. Cam Meller from PFF, who was on this podcast a couple months ago, who I think it does a really, really good job. It's a hard job in trying to rank college players and programs. They have a lot of statistical stuff at PFF, but he still has got to analyze it, come up with stuff. When he does a ranking of 1 through 130, the best college quarterbacks, That's very few people are in a position to do something like that. And that's why I appreciated Cam's time. He did a ranking of all the position groups 
of the four teams in the playoff. He said the team in the playoff of the four teams with the best linebackers was Ohio State. Which, like, I would not have necessarily said. Because he said, like, Oklahoma has a really good guy. LSU has a really good guy. Clemson has Isaiah Simmons. But he said Harrison, Werner, Borland, Browning, together as a group, are the best linebackers in this championship game. I mean, in this playoff. And, for instance, he didn't pick Ohio State secondary. He picked Clemson's secondary because he said, excuse me, he picked LSU's secondary because he said the two LSU corners are the two highest ranked guys he has statistically. So it was just interesting where, like, he didn't pick Justin Fields. He didn't pick Ohio State's receivers. So he, he didn't, didn't pick J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. Like, where, where Ohio State stood out. Now, he picked Ohio State's defensive line and Ohio State's linebackers. And I think he picked Ohio State's offensive line, too. It's interesting. It's just an interesting analysis. He didn't of, pick the superstars with a lot of this. Because it, it was position group. Right. It was like yeah. depth of position group. And, so, and it's also when you're ranking, it could be they're the best of maybe none of these four teams. It's just, especially good linebackers. It's just interesting well, to, although Isaiah Simmons for Clemson, you would think would Which is why it's interesting. To like, it's, it's almost like he, did, he put something together where it was like, don't get so caught up in a name and like let's... Right. Look at the rules. So, so it's it's. I just threw that out because I don't disagree with with the analysis. That, you know, of like you maybe wonder about these these Ohio State linebackers have to tackle. Yeah. Etn. That's a legitimate concern. I think it's a concern for every linebacker group in the country to yeah. try to tackle a guy like that. But I yeah. do think again, it's like I feel like you can say things like, "Well, I think that's what's going to ter- determine the game." And I think, "Well, that's what's going to determine the game." If one of these teams tackles and one doesn't. Oh, well, yeah, that's going to... Right? I mean, because J.K. Dobbins will break a tackle mm-hmm. and Travis Etienne will break a tackle. And I think both these teams talk about their running backs in the same kind of way. They aren't going to go down on the first hit. They do have good speed, but they will run through you if you do not take them down. Yeah. So if somebody's getting tackled in the hole mm-hmm. and somebody's getting through the hole and getting through the linebackers and not going down until the secondary, mm-hmm. we're going to be able to tell. We're going to see it right away. Man, Somebody, somebody's tackling and somebody's not. So I think that is an interesting way um, to look at that. But, but, but I do think in all this stuff about matchups and who has an edge where, um, it feels like to me, this is, uh, maybe this is completely wrong. It feels like in this era we've said, man, this feels completely wrong. Well, so I'll say it. Everybody's used to me being completely wrong. Ryan Day, we were at the we were at practice, and Ryan Day like gave him a speech about like he was given an everybody doubted us speech, like on December twenty fourth. It was like, dude, but I'll tell you what, guys got up with some juice. They did. I saw guys like running to their next position group drill after the no, but everybody doubted us. Ryan Day was hitting it hard. So there are two games that wow. going on. There's the the actual like playoff game on Saturday, but then there's also the who's winning the we're more of an underdog game between Clemson and Ohio State. I think Ohio State took the lead after that speech. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was talking about how Dabo has just been bringing this all year, all year with this stuff, and like it works again. I mean, it's one of those things. Um, I find it it's different when they say it out in the world, like when they say it in a news conference to reporters and therefore it's to coach fans. Trump. That I wonder about. Because it's like, who are you talking to? If you're on the practice field at the national semifinal telling your team they're dead, of course. You can, I mean, telling your team that 
that everybody in Clemson just went into your homes and kidnapped all your dogs and you're not going to get them back unless you win this game. You say whatever you have to say to your team on the practice field to get them ready to go. So that was great. I'm not making fun of Ryan Day for using the doubt card on the practice field. Some of the stuff in the news conferences, I mean, we're all sort of past the point of like, dude, all right, Dabo, Ryan, whatever. You're good. You're good. We promise yeah. we think you're good. Uncle. Yeah. Um, we, I think, the thing I was going to say, I think we all believe you need an elite quarterback. You need a next-level quarterback. There are four, I mean, the four best quarterbacks in college football in the playoff. Does anybody yeah. argue that? No. It's the, it's the three yeah. quarterbacks who were invited to the Heisman ceremony and Trevor Lawrence. And then yeah. arguably like five, six, and seven were like five through ten in the rest of the rankings. Yeah. So like, guess what? Quarterbacks matter. So, and, and we would, uh, you know, we'll say it. We've already said it. We'll say it more. What separates, I think the number one separator between this Ohio State team and this Ohio State team that got shut out three years ago is the quarterback. And we've said that. If JT Barrett was just not quite at that level, which is fine. But given that, I also feel like they could maybe zone read these guys to death. That, that yes, of course you need the threat of the throw, but you know what? And like Clemson's not going to do that. And we can get into, I mean, the thing, Trevor Lawrence, good athlete, can move, can run, good athlete, better than you think. Chase Young said that 50 times on Tuesday. What's the number one thing you learned about Trevor Lawrence in film watch? Better athlete than I expected. They're not going to zone read them. I think Fields and Robbins, they haven't had to do it. I'm not so sure these guys couldn't like string together four touchdown drives without throwing it. If the offensive line is feeling it as a run blocker, as run blockers, I think Justin Still is pretty good at that. JK thrives on that stuff, so I don't know that they are gonna do it like that. I think third third and short, it like lives. They're so good at it. Yeah. It's there whenever they need it. And that might be a separate. It's like in this day and age, it's all about throwing, and it makes me a little nuts sometimes. I mean, like Mac and people, well, people with the Browns and stuff, they want to run Nick. Of course, Nick Chubb is great, but you got to throw. Of course, I mean, everybody throws. You got to throw to win. And Ohio State's going to have to throw to win, but I think they might run it until Clemson proves they can stop the run. And I don't know for sure that they can. So if they can't stop it, stay up tempo. JK, 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 Justin, JK, Justin, JK, 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 Justin, JK, Justin, Justin, JK, 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 Justin, JK. Well, then, then not then, that much, Justin, but enough. But, but, then, that's been but the, then you pop the play action to Olave, too. At yes, some point which has been the game plan the last three weeks of the and, season. And Literally. how good is I mean, like, I mean, it's worked great. Like, it's not like JK's running four yards per carry. He's been five, six, seven yards per carry. So it's working. And Justin's been extremely accurate. So, yeah, like, I don't see why that can't continue to work and, for a fourth straight time. And as we discussed, there may not be a significant de- difference. While Clemson is very good defensively, there may not actually be a significant difference between. <clears throat> Clemson and Penn State and Wisconsin. We may be talking about a similar realm, and Ohio State has always, all year, been good enough to produce against defenses like that. Um, I, I, I'll be curious, because um, I feel like we haven't dug in with Ryan Day on this. I asked, I was with Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator, for a while on Tuesday. I just like that guy. Very high cheekbones, chiseled jawline. And I was talking about this on the shuttle bus on the way home. He is a very clean-shaven man. And I don't know how he gets such a, he has such sharp bone structure. And it's such a tight shave. It's such, I feel like it's hard for me. I have a little bit of a flabby face. It's harder to get a tight shave on a flabby face. 
Well, he's a millionaire, so he can probably afford to pay somebody else to do but it. But I don't think he's that. You think he's having a, a barber come in and if shave? If I'm a bi- million, I mean, you're get, if you get your hair cut once a week, like I'm, you know, I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I'm gonna have my barber Wait, come to my house. Who gets a haircut once a week? Oh yeah, you guys don't do that. <laughs> okay, well, for those of us who do get their haircut about, once a week, maybe if you got your haircut every other week, you could get a new car. I mean, a haircut is like fifteen dollars. It's not like it's. That's sixty dollars a month on haircuts. Okay, I'm overdue for a haircut. You're also speaking to a guy who is who religiously spends 150 plus on shoes. I should just got you a Floby for Christmas. <laughs> Brent Venables makes two million a year. That's a base salary of okay. two million. So, let's do so this. if you let's do this math. how if you how much would a shave? How many times a week do you got to get a, a shave from a barber? Times fifty in your house. Right, well, so, but he's got to do it more than once a week to get a tight shave. I mean, right, you got to shave. You got to so fly your barber to Arizona. So let's just. So that, let's might just be, that might be what he did just for you, special. No, this let's morning. Just say it may get, just be for 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 Fiesta. Let's just, listen. No, let's just say he gets his haircut <laughs> twice a week. Okay. Okay. So that's thirty dollars a haircut times fifty two. That's twice a week. You I mean, he's, haircut? Haircut? he's a million. He's a, I'm, he's a I'm, I'm, I'm a millionaire. Do you know this what Brent Venables' hair? You know what you know what millionaires do? They don't waste their money on extra haircuts. That's, that's how they only stay millionaires. That's only fifteen hundred a year. Yeah, that's not a lot of money. That's fifteen hundred dollars a year. That's, that's not how so millionaires think. Like, go ahead. Two million dollars a year minus fifteen sixty. I think he'll be. He still right has one point nine nine eight million. He still right. has two million dollars. All right, then I. I'll eat crow, I respect but, a good shave yeah. so much. If you see him on, on Thursday at Media Day, somebody's got to ask I'm him. I'm going to ask him how much he gets his haircut. I'm going to ask him. I will ask him. There is a very... And I, I think I may have talked about it on this podcast before, but it's not an appropriate subject to talk about, so I'm not going to mention it by name. There is a very powerful person in sports who has very long nose hairs, and it has lessened my respect for them because I've been up close with them. It's not somebody at Ohio State... And their no, lack of nose hair trimming made me view them differently. So the way that I am speaking with reverence for Brent Venables' tight shave is the opposite side of this. So all I'm saying, as I said here, three weeks past a, a haircut appointment and having not shaved in three days, hygiene matters. So if you're basically, if you have two or more commas in your salary, then like your grooming should be like high level. It would be, yes. If I made more money, I would look... What? Wh- how would Sharp. you rank um, between Venable's facial bone structure, um, Pete Werner's neck, and in just the Joel Clatt, the, the mystique of Joel Clatt? <laughs> yeah, the angelic what, mystique. How would you rank those do three? You want, do you want this podcast to stay under an hour or not? <laughs> All right. Has there been from the eight one three? People already turned it off. I know the, the people who turned it off. I know you're already gone. We're back to football talk. If you fast forward it, God, please stop. The great, yeah, the great thing about podcasts is you've got that 15 <laughs> second button. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Football is back. Has there been any talk about the curse of Charlie Bauman, who hexed Ohio State after Woody hit him in the 78 Gator Bowl from the 813? I'll cover this briefly because this was a big deal in 2013. Ohio State is 0-3 against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Lifetime. It's the Gator Bowl Woody loss. It's the 2013 loss when Braxton Miller hurt his shoulder, and it basically ended Braxton yeah. Miller's quarterback career. And it's the 31 nothing shutout the th- three years ago that like caused a reevaluation of the Ohio State football program. The three losses that Ohio State has had to Clemson have not just been losses. They have been Detrimental. awful. <laughs> you lose a coach, you lose a quarterback, and you like sort of lose your foundation of who you are. So... 
I think we're past that. That was sort of the Charlie Bauman thing and, and covering it in 2013. Clemson was just back on the scene. Clemson had been irrelevant for so long. I know yeah. they won the national title in 81, I guess, with Danny Ford. But they had been so out of the picture. This was Clemson's arrival. Clemson was new and interesting. And the story for us was all about Clemson. We did all that stuff. Now Clemson is just good. So this is not hexes. This is not history. This is right now Lawrence Fields. Venables versus Day, Dabo versus Day. Like, this is just two programs fighting to be at the top of college football. So I, I respect the question and I like the question, but I think that's the kind of thing that you fall into when the game itself and the programs themselves don't bring as much to the table, right? We didn't know exactly what the deal was with Clemson in 2013. Tosh Boyd's good. Sammy Watkins is good. Like, we get it. They're coming on this Dabo guy. Who knows? When you play Bama, you don't talk hexes with Bama. You talk about how do you beat these guys. That's where we are with this. So, like, I, I love the idea. It's not a hex anymore. The reason Ohio State is 0-3 against Clemson is not because of a hex. It's because Clemson is good. Yeah. So this is for supremacy on the college football landscape. It, it, and like it's it's kind of weird that like that was the thing with Woody, but like man, it, like it's on. Like this bottom line, it's on right now. But they're also 0 3 against Clemson because they didn't play them once in like a 20 year span when they would have been incredibly mediocre. Yeah. Clemson wasn't good enough to get to play Ohio State. Right. Yeah. Right. Um Matt from the 864, I've heard a lot of comparisons to Clemson and where they are as a program, both culturally and schematically, to where Ohio State is. What are the biggest differences in culture between Ohio State and Clemson's programs? Pros and cons of each. Also, will Stephen be doing a good challenge in Glendale, a food challenge? Uh, It's compressed schedule. It's going to be tough. I I was talking about this actually with Bruce Hooley um, from the Hooley and Spielman podcast this morning. I think we may have mentioned it here. You guys may may have talked about it. Um, Urban... Meyer had more in common with Nick Saban, I think. Dabo is a from a different generation, comes on the scene. Um, and Bruce was making the point, I think I agree with it, Ryan Day seems more of the Dabo Sweeney school of coaching. It is a little less um, clenched. It is a little more um, forthright with the love. The tough love thing that Ryan Day is doing, Dabo does that kind of thing a you, lot. You can hang out in his office all day. Dabo has a lot of... Uh, faith and spiritual things within yeah. his program but it i think for Dabo, the faith and spiritual part is a component of sort of like this general like love thing and the toughness derives from the love rather than the love deriving from the toughness i love you because you're tough be i love you first and that makes you tough and it, i'm not saying one is worth urban was incredibly successful and his players loved him nick saban is incredibly successful his Probably the best college football coach ever. And his players love playing for that guy. He pushes you really hard. I just would say, I think Dabo's a little different. And I think that maybe is the cultural thing. And if you think, if you think there has been a change, and I think everybody would say, we've only been asked about it, talked about it a million times this year, a a shift from Urban today is kind of a shift from Saban to Dabo. And so I think maybe the, the culturally, the Ohio State program of this year may have a little more in, in common with Clemson than it did three years ago when these teams played. I don't know. I don't know if that's right, but I think it's partly generational. And just like with everything, I mean, coaches, you know, Ryan Day, early in his tenure was talking about like he didn't like those kind of coaches that were just on you all the time and just like put, you know, and and Urban, 
Again, it's not, and it's not black versus white. It's the shades of gray. But Urban in, retired in part because he couldn't let go of the clench. It doesn't mean he didn't love his guys and he didn't show love, but he really pushed you. It doesn't mean Ryan Day and Dabo Sweeney don't push their guys, but I think they really love them. So I think that's where it's a little more similar. I think if you acquire talent at the level that these teams are acquiring talent and then you have coaches who know how to develop that talent, then the personality with which you do it can be very different from one program to the next and you can still have success. You, you can have the, the the approaches you're talking about, but then, you know, I always thought that like a USC approach, <coughs> that looks like a bad example now because of what happened with Reggie Bush and stuff, I suppose. But like that was also a very dominant program for a long time where it was also it seemed like one of the most relaxed atmospheres in college football, at least I, from our perspective in terms of how they deal with the media, that sort of thing. And I, I, I think you can have either way as long as you're just doing the fundamental things that every program needs to do in order to win games. It seems like the, the Saban-Meyer era is where, like, obviously, like, players love those guys. It's just you don't you don't really appreciate it until it's over. While, like, because of the styles that Dabo and, and Ryan Day bring, you can kind of appreciate it while you're living in it as well. Because it's not so, like, clinch. And listen, like... There's nothing wrong with either style. Trestle's guys love Trestle. I mean, yeah. Like, Trestle, I mean, Trestle's older than, than Urban, and he was more of a, you know, love-first kind yeah. of guy. So, I mean, it's, it's not only generational. Guys have different ways of succeeding. Um, and if you win, most of the time when you win, your players love you. And they understand yeah. that everyone's trying to get the best out of their guys. And it's not that one guy only yells and one guy only gives hugs. It's your balance of hugs to yelling. And one guy might be 55-45 one way and one guy's 55-45 the other. Um, not to belabor the 2016 matchup, but which side of the ball is more improved from the team that got thumped 31-0, the offense or the defense? Thanks, Todd from Phoenix, who was starstruck when meeting Stephen Means and Dick's Sporting Goods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did meet <laughs> while I was walking around videoing teenagers helping little kids. Did uh, Were you pleasant to Todd? Yeah, I was. I'm pleasant to everybody I meet. That's good. I'm not pleasant to everybody I meet. Um, we know. We know. <laughs> I, I was in a, I was in a mall in uh, Columbus the other day, and my wife. I was with my wife. My wife went out to the car first, and I said, "I'll meet you in a second. And then I didn't come out for like ten minutes, and she thought I was like buying her a gift, and I was just talking to some Buckeye Talk listener. <laughs> it was like dog, and I was like, "Oh, you recognize me in public? What would you like, sir? My wife yeah. can wait as long as she needs to wait. No autographs, please." And no present for that her. That happened when I was out with my friends once, and they were just like staring at me, waiting to leave. Yeah. And they started laughing at me, saying I was famous. Don't laugh at Buckeye Talk! Yeah. Um, the biggest difference is the offense. Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, I asked him about this secondary compared to the 16 secondary. He said it looks the same to him. Mm-hmm. That was an incredibly talented secondary that Deshaun Watson still put 31 on. Um, that was a. A defensive front with Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes and a freshman Nick Bosa. Like, that was a good defense, and they scored 31, but the offense couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. The offense couldn't keep up. And so in a lot of ways, the way that, you know, I've sort of uh, characterized Michigan's – when Michigan looks in the mirror now, it's not that they can't stop Ohio State to me. It's that they can't score with Ohio State. So to say, like, well, we have to prevent Ohio State from scoring 60, it's like, yeah, I mean, you do – but even if you hold them to 40, you're not going to hold them to 28. You've got to figure out how to score 40 because they're going to score 40. So I think that's the issue here. They're not going to stop Clemson. It's not the 31. The thir- Obviously, the 31 nothing. What's the problem there? The 31 or the zero? It's the zero. But if it was a 21 to 
17 game, then it's like you're not changing your entire program. Yeah, but they they realized we can't play offense like this mm-hmm. and compete at this level. And Ed Warner and Tim Beck ran the offense in that game, and after that game, they didn't run the offense no more. <laughs> and guess who did? Good old Ryan Day. The guy who's the head coach now. So that's uh, that's why I think you just you have to keep that in your head. That is the biggest change. I think we came to an agreement. We mentioned it last pod. If you ranked, we were talking about this, so I think we all agree on this. If you ranked the four units in order, it would be number one, Clemson offense, number two, Ohio State defense, number three, Ohio State offense, number four, Clemson defense. Mm-hmm. That is this matchup. Yeah. It's no disrespect to Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins that Trevor Lawrence and T. Higgins and Travis Etienne are number one on that list. But I think, again, the top three are closer, are more bunched than that fourth unit. So it, it's about the Ohio State offense being able to score at this level. Any chance the Bucks put uh, Sean Wade outside to match up with Higgins and Ross and let Damon Arnett go back to the slot against Amari Rodgers from the 5-1-3? Uh, I, mean, I, think, no. I don't think so, just because I think the reason Sean Wade is where he is is because Partially because they like what he is as a run defender, and you gotta have a good run defender to stop Travis Etienne. You can't, you know. I, I think well, kind of, you know. Well, I guess we'll probably talk maybe a little bit about what Ohio State's gonna do as far as how many safeties it's gonna play and how this is all gonna line up. But one of the reasons this has worked so well for Ohio State this season is because all these. Especially Wade, I think, is a really hard-nosed guy and, and, and a guy who, who's not afraid to get in there and make tackles and, and, and play with an edge um, against the run. And I think that's going to be important to have on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's a very like simple way to look at what a slot cornerback does is if it was just like – if his only job is to just cover whoever the wide receiver is in the slot, then like, yeah, probably that makes a little bit of sense. But like you said, it's about – it's about also defending the run and basically being when you take a linebacker off of the field. Well, sometimes that cornerback has to act like a linebacker if it's a run play. So I don't, I no, not really. And Amari Rogers isn't necessarily the the downfield threat that Justin Ross and and T Higgins are. He's good, but he's just not the downfield threat that the other two are. My expectations and Higgins and Ross will also be in the slot at times. Too. Yeah, They'll move some guys around. My expectation, at least for the start of this game, is they don't move any corner to match up with any receiver. They play their guys where they played the whole the whole year. And if they do, and until I mean, if Higgins goes bazonkers, then you tell Jeff Okuda I, to start following. Yeah, him. and I asked him about the, like the, like the. The idea of like being a number one corner and like just following a, he's not against it. Yeah, it just it, I, it just feels like um, it's not their scheme to do it. It's not their scheme, and I and I think if it was if it was such a stark difference that yeah. this the Clemson offense was all about one receiver and mm-hmm. you shut him down, you win. That's one thing. That's yeah. not what this is. So it's like, well, if, if Okuda's on Higgins this snap and he's on Ross the next snap and then he ends up on Rodgers And somehow. basically you're just like, wherever Jeff is, we're going to the other guy. But this is what you can do now. And this is the point. This is, this is why Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda are top 50, top 25 national recruits. The number one and number two corners in their class. And Damon Arnett is a fifth-year senior who came back, who developed himself from a three-star guy, Mm -hmm. who they got late in the class because somebody else bailed on them, Mm -hmm. who developed himself into this kind of corner. Can you imagine? This is what I I don't know what Wake Forest does. What do you do if you face Clemson and you don't have three NFL corners? You pray. What do you do? You hope that that Trevor Lawrence is feeling dangerous. So, so, <laughs> and, 
and I want I want to get to this. Maybe this isn't exactly a question, but that's that's the point here. If you don't have three NFL corners and an NFL pass rusher, I don't. I think you just go home. When Clemson's offense takes the field, yeah. you just don't. You refuse to come on the field. Like this is what they do to everybody. This is why they haven't lost in two years. But if anybody, and I don't even know. I don't know that. I don't think LSU. I mean, LSU has two good corners, as we say. Yeah. But I don't know that they don't have Chase. If anybody was built for this, Greg Madison, I talked to Greg Madison for a while about this, and I think I'm, I'm going to write about it. I know someone else is writing about the big play stuff, and we can all dance around. I mean, it's such an important part of this. He was talking about inside and in front, inside and in front. Keep the ball inside, keep the ball in front of you. Do not let them get on the edge with like deep routes down the sideline. Mm-hmm. Do not let them go over the top. A pass rush that doesn't let Trevor Lawrence stand back there and look forever. Mm-hmm. And corners who will take something away and say, if you want to beat us, fine. Beat us in there. Greg Madison was saying, corners and, and receivers, you're going like 50-50. One, one, one wins one, the other wins one. But when the Clemson receivers win, you can't let the win be a 60-yard touchdown. You've got to let the win be a 12-yard completion. And Chase Young getting in the backfield on a regular basis is going to help that happen. But they have guys who can cover longer than most corners. So I think as good as this offense is, I think this defense was built to stop this offense. Now, Travis Etienne may make that if you know, like they have a counter to everything. That's why they're so good. And that and I'd say the same thing if they were playing Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and trying to say, okay, that they this defense is built. They haven't faced it, but they are built to stop an elite passing game. It's built to beat the exact thing that beat them 31 to nothing in 2016. And they didn't now now and again. The hard part of that is I don't think that secondary was good enough. You can't say yeah. that secondary wasn't good enough. And Deshaun right. did it anyway. But they didn't have quite the chase level of Nick pressure. Nick was a freshman. And like and you couldn't – the offense couldn't do enough. Like all this stuff they talked yeah. about the past couple with the complimentary football. And as you jumped in and said before, it's like the zero affects the 31. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, again, it's like this defense had components – to deal with but an offense like this in 16, but not all of it. And the offense couldn't prop them up at all. But as good as Clemson is, I feel like Ohio State honestly is like is in the superhero showdown between Superman and the Green Goblin or whatever, the Wolverine and uh, the X-Men. I'm not no, yeah, I'm not whatever gonna Joel let, would yeah, say. I'm not gonna let you be like Joel. <laughs> I'm not gonna let that happen here. But it's like, you know, it's not they're not their kryptonite, but it's an even you can see how it matches evenly because if they didn't as much as, and again, this is why we want to make sure you guys are getting the right read on this. Do not think we're, again, if you got that impression that Ohio State doesn't have a chance, that is not the impression that we meant to give. Again, imagine if they didn't have Jeff Okuda. Imagine if they didn't have Chase Young. What we would say? Well, that's like, when we, we did a video, people can watch at cleveland.com, um, about you know, what what gift would you give to Ohio State? And the one, you, you, uh, Stephen um, talked about Justin Fields' health, so I didn't want to do another health one. But to me, it's like if, if Ohio State's top three defensive backs, top three corners stay healthy through this whole game, it, it may be absolutely critical to them being able to win this game. I think if you take any one of those three guys off the field for a half, or like like you had against Wisconsin because Wisconsin had some receiving threats they did not have Clemson level mm-hmm. receiving threats spread all over the field um, and if 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 you have to go I'm not if seven banks whoever could listen to this and come after me about it but like it's a, it's a step down I think it's a clear step down and and I'm not trying to 
pick on him for any reason. Cam Brown, Amir Reed, whoever you want to say. Any one of those three guys has to play the majority of this game for Ohio State. That opens up a potentially huge hole for Clemson. So those three guys, and Sean Wade looked pretty healthy. I uploaded a video of some some clips today from practice, uh, what little we got to see of him just doing some some stuff. Um, he was obviously the most concerning one, but all three of those guys have had some some stuff here late in the season. They've all had banged the, up a little bit. They've all uh, missed some halves. And yeah, they, I, if uh, any one of those three guys missing a half really opens a door for Clemson. So short answer on from the six oh two, how did? Justin Fields, Sean Wade, and Baron Browning look at practice today. Again, we got to watch them stretch, and that was basically about it. But we sort of talked about Fields. You said you're saying Wade from what you saw. All he good. had a wrap on his on his thigh, but like I mean, he's playing football, so like everybody's got some type of wrap on something. So yeah, I mean, just as far as his, crazy. I, people can watch, and I'm not a doctor, but it looked fine to me. Like I mean, again, it's wet. Um and and they're just going through practice. They're going through warm up stuff on a Tuesday practice. They don't play till Saturday. I don't want to read too much into it, but I also didn't notice anything. Yeah, obvious none, none of them look like they need to be on alert to not play Saturday. And I right. and I tried to watch Baron Browning. I was yeah. while he was just stretching and stuff, and he looked normal. Yeah, right. so that's all we can tell you from the eight one three. Interested in hearing about the traitor Jackson Carmen? Does he have more incentive <laughs> to block Trace Young? Or does our defensive line have more incentive to crush him? So here's the thing about this, and, and, and that's a texter word, not our word. This is Jackson Carmen was the number one recruit in Ohio a couple years ago. People thought he was going to go to Ohio State. He picks Clemson. This is what Ohio State does all over the country all the time. Right. So this is what like people in Texas think of Jeff Okuda and J.K. Dobbins. And this is what people in Georgia right now think of Justin Fields. And this is what people in California think of Wyatt Davis. And this is what... People in Florida think of Nicholas Petit Frere. Like, we're not going to use that word because kids can go where they want to go. And some kids staying home is a big draw. Some kids going away is a big draw. And you know what? Dabo Sweeney came in and did it. And guess what? Guess what Jackson Carmen has right now that nobody on Ohio State's roster has? A national championship ring. So it's one of those things. It's like to be like, hey, hey, Jackson Carmen, how's it working out? Being a sophomore starter at left tackle for the undefeated defending national champions, and you've never lost a game in your career. How's that feel? That. Does it feel awesome? Because that sounds awesome. You've really never lost to Purdue. Is that great? Look, yeah. you guys have discussed, I think, probably before I got here, um, the, 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 the narrative of Clemson kind of taking Ohio State's place a little bit on the national scale, right? I mean, yeah. that's in that, that 31 to nothing game being. An example of that. This is one of the prices of it. You're, you're once in a while when another and it's once in a while, right? It's not like yeah. they're getting consistently drubbed uh, by for Ohio guys by Clemson or anybody else. Like when there's great players in the state of Ohio, Ohio State typically gets it, those guys first and foremost. This is the one example. What makes it interesting is the fact that like uh, like when you grew up in Ohio playing for Ohio State, it's like the dream. And like his coach was, I'm going to write story for the mor- for the morning. Like his coach was talking about how like that it was the exact opposite. Like he just couldn't get. A, he couldn't wait to get away from Ohio, which is – and, like, this is just me saying this, but maybe some of that is, like, Ohio State's the only Power 5 school in the state. And so it's not like you're choosing between Michigan State and Michigan. It's like go to Ohio State or leave the state, basically. So that's how you kind of look at it. I mean, if you ask Jeff Okuda why he left Texas, he says, I kind of wanted to get out of Texas and yeah. try something new. So, so, yeah, like, I, a, have, I have respect for kids. Yeah, I have respect for kids who want to stay home and play for their home state. First of all, I have respect for any five-star – Prospect who literally can go anywhere in the world, and they make that decision to go anywhere they want in the world. As much as we sometimes sort of snicker at the the concept of the student athlete being the sort of buzzword that the NCAA tries to throw around, at the end of the day, they are making decisions the same way a lot of 
other college students will make decisions sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes people just want to go away and experience something new. And maybe they want to be a place where there's less winter than there is in Ohio. And although in South Carolina, it's not that far away, but it's different enough. And there was also a really great football program. There. Oh, yeah. Like, I oh, yeah. I can't. Hey, you can <laughs> By the way, yeah, he, yeah. he won a national championship. So I can't. I don't know. If you want to be that way, be that way. But I don't know why you'd hold it that much against the kid. Let's do a quick answer on this because it's in a range that we've talked about a lot from the 810. Who do you think is more of a threat to the Ohio State defense, Trevor Lawrence or Travis Etienne? I'll say Trevor. <sighs> Boy. The throw and run threat. I will say Travis Etienne just because, again, some conversations I was having today. Uh, I mean, eh, actually, the answer is probably still Trevor Lawrence because I think it's 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 the it's accounting for Trevor Lawrence and all the things Trevor Lawrence can do within that offense that makes Travis Etienne so dangerous. Mm-hmm. He is the counterpunch, um, and but it's a it's a big counterpunch. It's like a it's like a counter haymaker. I will say, when Ohio State played Wisconsin, who had a really good back, right? What did we say about that? Like Ohio State's built to stop that. Like it was when whatever, Jack, dude. It's whenever Jack Cone was like taking off and getting picking up yards. The same thing at Penn State. And so they've, I mean, Saquon Barkley. I mean, Ohio State's seen running backs like yeah. Travis Etienne before. They have not seen a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence since Deshaun. They saw Baker, but since Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, like honestly, they don't. This does not happen in the Big Ten. No, this right. is the these. There are Chuba Hubbard's good. Oklahoma State's not you. You can have a good running back and be a good team, but it doesn't automatically make you a great team. As we said, the four best, best players and the quarterbacks in the country are oh, in the playoffs. Wow. This is what elevates you. Trevor Lawrence is the difference maker. What makes Clemson so good is that he's the punch, and then the punch behind it. I guess it's not a counter punch because the counter punch is from the other person. It's a yeah. Right? It's a it's, it's the a combo. It's a combo. No, no, it is a counter because it's like. Okay, our pass game isn't working. Here you go, J.K. Here you go. The counterpunch would come from your opponent. Right. So this is like a flurry. Right. So it's like a counter. Not a box. The defense took away this. So like, okay, here's the run game. Oh, great. Let's hear them talk about how stupid they are (laughs) about boxing lingo. (laughs) Also, by the way, combos. Delicious. Oh, big fan. Like the snack? Yeah. Okay, it's a combo of two things. I think I, I, I like them because if you've ever wondered what dog food tastes like, <laughs> this is like walking right up to the. You, you got your toes right on the edge of the roof as to what eating dog food would be, but it's still good enough. If, if, if it, someone held out a delicious. combo and held it above your head, I would sit down if I thought I was going to get the combo. <laughs> so it's the like, wait, wait. So like that's why you like it because it it's, almost tastes like dog food. <laughs> It's like you can almost you can Combos. pretend you're eating dog food. So do dog you, food so for like humans. You guys are saying that you like dog food. No, I'm no. saying I don't like dog food. He's saying he and it's almost not, likes dog it's, food. It's not socially acceptable for me to walk around with a bag of dog food and just eat handfuls of it. But I can go to any gas station and get a thing of combos, and I've done it many times. Another question from the seven two seven. We lost Jeff Halfley's defensive back recruit. Uh, Clark Phillips, who has signed with Utah. We're getting our defensive back class in the 2020 class. Our remaining DBs don't have as high of a rating, which suggests we're not going to be as strong there next year on defense. Is this our best chance at a national championship? Or since Fields has not reached his ceiling, do you think the team will be even stronger next year? By the way, I love the good discussion. I, too, am a foodie. Do you guys ever do sub sandwiches? you guys eat subs a lot? I do eat subs Do we ever eat sub sandwiches? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big uh, Jersey Mike's fan. My wife gets the sub in a tub, which is the sub without the bread. 
and it's like, a, but it's mm. like a salad, but it has a lot of sub meat. Mm. I don't like. I am not a fan of the of the lunch meat. I'm I always get either. steak sandwiches. So, like, what do you get, like, at a sub place? I'd get, like, a meatball sub. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm into that. Like, I just... Like the hot sub. Yeah. I don't like cold... I'm not the cold I don't sub. Like See, cold. I, I do. I like cold Italian... Like, an Italian Man. Yeah. sub. I don't like cold. With, Even with, if I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like, I'll put the peanut butter on cinnamon bread, microwave it for 20 seconds. So, that way, like, the peanut butter is still, like, chunky, Ooh. but it's not, like, syrupy. <coughs> And then you put your jelly on. Right, I'm gonna do that. I'm nice gonna do that. warm sandwich. I don't know how we got on this. I will say there have been times in my life. There, there are times when you know how sometimes you go to a function and you get to the function and there's a big sub. It's yeah. like a 20 foot long yeah. sub, and my heart always sinks when I see the big sub. <laughs> what like, was I the don't fo- want the big sub. What was the football part of this question? <laughs> I don't want the big sub. There was yeah. There was there was the football part of this. So question. I think we actually we had this discussion. I think in a maybe in a bye week a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. What is Ohio State's better chance as a national oh, right. championship? Right. Nineteen or twenty? I think we all came to the conclusion of twenty nineteen because yeah. it's fields and the defense. When I before the season thought, you know what, maybe this won't be their year. Twenty twenty will be their year. Justin Fields will have developed. You do. I don't know that I accounted as much for like you're going to lose Chase. You're going to lose Okuda. You're going to lose Malik Harrison. You're going to lose like you're going to lose arguably like the sixth best players off your defense. If the sixth best players on this defense are Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade, Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, and Malik Harrison. I think you would you could argue that, and maybe Davon Hamilton seven. Yeah, like you yeah. could argue that. That's like your seven best guys. I think Hamilton who might Hamilton's be back. No lower than maybe seven. Th- this yeah. might be like a, a good like after the season, whether that ends on Saturday or if it ends in January. Are LSU and Clemson a good window into what twenty twenty looks well, like? Well, I was saying that today. I think this. I think twenty nineteen Clemson might be a lot like twenty twenty Ohio State. Because they've got the quarterback be, coming back, which LSU. Yeah, right? but even with the LSU, it's like, like you're in the, they had the second. Obviously, like no one thought Joe Burrow would be the Heisman, but second year of your quarterback with a very talented offense with a good enough defense to get you to a playoff. But I don't know is that because to me, Ohio State is fortunate to be hitting this window with Clemson that it feels like their defense is a step below right now that they lost oh, the, yeah. the NFL defensive lineman and the rest of the defensive line again they have some good players. But they're not like menacing to the right. to the degree I think they right. were last year, and they might be. Well, next Clemson year. might be what Ohio State is this year, next year. Right. And Ohio State next year is going to do it with Clemson no, is right now. No, literally, because even like the wide receivers won't be as good outside so I think of Justin Ross. It's like right, but like right now we're talking about Clemson and we're talking about Trevor Lawrence and these receivers, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with Ohio State next year, when you the first thing you might talk about with them Justin is Justin Fields, Fields and, and those receivers. Now, they're going to have to find either a combo or a counterpunch. We won't go back there. With the run game, if J.K. leaves, will Master Teague or somebody rise up to the level that that ETN has played at? Who knows? But while we're saying, of course, this Clemson defense is good, but the offense is what makes them great, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, Ohio State's pretty balanced. I think next year we're going to be saying, what makes Ohio State great? The offense. They're going to have to carry that defense a little bit. So I think in conclusion, which we had reached previously, this does feel like the year. And it's not necessarily, it's not tied to Clark Phillips. No. But it's tied to the idea of like, you're going to ask Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Josh Proctor and a lot of these highly ranked guys, and they might be good right away. Mitchell. But but they're real. I mean, are you going to have the, they arguably have the best defensive end and the best corner in college football right now. Are they going to have that next year? No. I mean, eh. No, they're not. They're not. 
I mean, we know Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison and but seven they're not. Extra, yeah, but they're not going to be this. Chase Young's been like a generational talent because because Chase Young and, and and Jeff Okuda were not this last year. No, they are only this for one year in their third years, guys. So it's just it's hard to do. But I do think this. I do think this very much might be, might be it, in terms of the best chances from the seven two seven. It seems like Day might be losing two coaches, Halfley and Mike Yersich. It sounds uh, like Day will be tested immediately. This seemed to be where Urban struggled. Do you think Day being a good offensive mind today offers some stability or finding a defensive back coach? Is that a bigger deal? Um, meaning regardless of the strength of offense, we need a good defense. So the rival site, no, the 247 site uh, for Texas is reporting that Mike Yersich is the leading candidate to be the offensive coordinator down there um, because Tom Herman is ready to give up play calling duties and wants to focus on being a head coach. And so Mike Yersich right now is the offensive coordinator with Kevin Wilson for Ohio State. But Ryan Day, it's Ryan Day's offense and Ryan Day's calling the plays. I and mean, The offensive coordinator who gets to call plays and the one who doesn't, that's a huge difference in the job. So um, I would be, um, I, I, like, I, I don't know how to phrase this. I'm not going to like like wag my finger at anybody. I am. I'm not worried about like the a quarterback. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not going to be worried about a passing game coordinator at Ohio State until Ryan Day gets to the point where he's ready to give up play calling. Because he spends most of his time still with the quarterback. In the practices we've seen in the spring and fall camp, and the, even today, he's still around the quarterbacks more than any other position. He's still calling the plays on the sideline. Any co- college coach who's, who is not ready to give up play calling, I'm not worried about them bringing in another play caller yet. I would raise my eyebrow a little bit at Mike Yersich. If he came to Ohio State for one year, he went to Euclid High School. It's like he came back to Ohio, and then he leaves after a year, and it's not for to go back to the And go back to the Big 12. Even though it's to call plays, I would be a little bit like, dude, really? Like, Halfley at least is going to be a head coach. And I'm a little dude, really, at Jeff Halfley, too. And it's fine. they got to do what's best for themselves and their families and money matters and all that stuff. But to your point, and we've said this before, the most important coach on a staff is the coordinator opposite the head coach's expertise. Mm-hmm. So Mike Yersich, any offensive coordinator at Ohio State, is never going to be as important as a defensive coordinator. And even last year... Now, the caveat to that is if you have a head coach who sort of does a certain thing and it might be getting old, and obviously Ryan Day, He's not Urban was yet. on the offensive side of the ball, and Ryan Day was very important for Urban. But then you saw how it was even more, the, the defensive side was even more important, right? As yeah. much as, so, I mean, it's one of those things. But like right now with Ryan Day, I think you're exactly right. This is Ryan Day's offense. Ryan Day's calling the plays. Ryan Day's making sure the quarterback room's in good shape. They'd get somebody instead of Mike Yersich. I would just kind of sh- like shrug my shoulders and be like, "You came here just so you could be the play caller at Texas the next year? Like you were the I don't, I don't know. Like it's fine. It's just a little bit of like, all right, then let let's pay players and let them play wherever they want year to year. Yeah. It's like this is a little bit like, come on, man. Like you're telling players like this, they need to be here for three years while coaches are here for eleven. This months. is the like, this is the job you couldn't pass up. I, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. And maybe he's not going to take it. Maybe he's it may, people are maybe it's like subterfuge by Tom Herman or people are trying to just like. Mess with Ohio State's heads. But a lot of times, whether there's smoke, there's fire. So best of luck to Mike Yersich with whatever he chooses to do. But, yes, the defensive hire to replace Halfley is more important, would be more important than the offensive hire to replace Yersich for all the reasons we just outlined. Doug, you keep downplaying the importance of assistant shit. Look at the mess after Tom Herman left. What's the difference this time? The assistant issue isn't a myth or a hoax. It's legit from the 312. And then look what happened after the mess. They got another guy that you never heard of who became the head coach. That's my point. 
Well, I know Ryan That's Day. That's my point. Ryan no, Day was saying it too. Like, what, I mean, didn't he basically come out and say no one knew who Jeff like, Halfley was yeah, when he got here? Yeah, <laughs> telling his telling his cornerbacks or his defensive backs. I mean, and telling the ones who are going to be coming. Hey, remember when you guys had no idea who Jeff Halfley was? Well. That's what you're going to think about this next guy that I'm bringing in who will also be great. Now, that's what he's trying to sell. We don't know that the next guy will be the, great. Halfway obviously did a great job here, but the point is taken. that, that A lot of these assistants are anonymous until they're not. The importance isn't on any one assistant. It's just about making the right hire. It, and it's not – It's like, and, I, and I, I've explained myself a lot on this, but you can replace – Jeff Halfley or Mike Yersich with someone just as good. Ohio State is not winning because of Jeff Halfley or Mike Yersich. Now, they're winning because they got better coaching, right, than they did last year with the mm-hmm. defense with Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch and all those guys. They got better. Jeff Halfley is not the only person that could have done it. He did a good job. Right. He's not the only person that could have done it. Tom Herman was very important. Tim Beck stunk. Ed Warner, as a play caller, stunk. Then Ryan Day was good. There was a Ryan Day out there when they hired Tim Beck. Urban Ryan Day was out there. Urban <laughs> did a bad job on that hire. I can run down the list of people he could have hired instead. But you can also run down the list of good hires he made. That's yes. just how it goes. He usually makes good hires. So, like, but the point, like, I feel like I can make this point. I've made it thousand times before. It's not that they're not important. It's that they are eminently replaceable. Absolutely. But if you look at the history of head coaches and you look at the history of top-tier players, Deshaun Watson changed Clemson. Nick Saban changed Alabama. Pete Carroll, USC's USC. With Pete Carroll, they're awesome. When Pete Carroll leaves, they stink. Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll lost coordinators in there. It didn't matter. He hired somebody else good. It's head coaches and players. And the assistants are middle managers. Now, if you get the wrong middle manager, it can muck it up. And then you get rid of him and get somebody better. So it's it's you can't bring in somebody off the street. But the pool is large to find somebody good to replace Jeff Halfley. It is on Urban. It is on Ryan Day to get it right. No head coach is going to bat 1,000 on that. But you should bat about 800 or 900. And when you miss, you got to get rid of it quick. Urban's biggest mistake in that era, once Ed Warner and Tim Beck mucked up 2015, was keeping them around for another year. He should have said, how did you guys screw up the most talented offense? We had Michael Thomas and Ezekiel Elliott, and you guys couldn't figure this out. You're done. He kept them for a second year. And that helped screw up 2016 and helped lead to a zero in the desert. There are good people out there. You didn't know Ryan Day. You didn't know Jeff Halfley. Somebody anonymous is out there who can do this job. It's on Ryan Day to find him. But do not tell me that assistants make the difference because it's just a freaking lie. And if Mike Yurcich wants to leave to get another extra couple million dollars, whatever. Now, just like anything in life, some people are exceptional. Brett Venables is exceptional. He's worth $2 million for Clemson. But he's also decided to stick around. He probably didn't have to. Someone's probably He's turned down a million opportunities yeah. to leave. When we have talked, this question's come up in various forms before. When we've talked about what would be the loss that would really hurt Ohio State off of this staff, it's not guys who are making back end decisions as to how to 
scheme and coordinate an offense or defense. It's Larry Johnson. It's Mickey Marotti. It's Mike Pantone. It's talent acquisition and and things like that. Those are the critical components to keeping the train rolling. Those are the guys who have chosen to stick around. And when you make a mistake, you've got to get rid of them quick. Yeah. Uh... We'll be done soon. We're already over, over an hour from the 803. Oh, isn't, wow. it, isn't expecting Ohio State to beat five highly ranked opponents in a row just too much? I'm still mad at the Big Ten scheduler. Again, this goes back. Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, and then two playoff games. Um, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, the where, like where we are now, right? If you thought, okay, maybe they missed some tackles because they were worn down at the end of the year. If you thought, oh, you know, Justin Fields, you know, was dealing with the knee thing because he couldn't. If he had had a Rutgers or a Maryland game in there. If they had played, Penn, if he had hurt against Penn State and they played Rutgers the next week, he might not have played. But they played yeah, Michigan. Yeah, which fair, wouldn't yeah. have been the best possible move at this point in the season. And if they had played Rutgers the week before Michigan, he wouldn't have been in the game that long to get hurt that late. Yeah. Right? So, like, that. But now that we're here... Now that we're here in Arizona, in the rain, in the desert, on Christmas Eve, is there a lingering negative effect for Ohio State that their last three games, other than the knee, and the knee is the knee, is there a lingering effect on Ohio State that playing Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin in its previous three games was bad for them? I don't know. Again, I want to throw in the caveat that if you swap the Rutgers and Penn State games on schedule, that means you're playing against Penn State without Chase Young. That has to be brought up every time people want to have this conversation. But number two, I think, okay, you're always going to play Michigan in the last game. Then you're going to have the Big Ten Championship game where you're presumably playing a pretty strong team. And then if you're talking about theoretically playing two – so that's four games. It's just really the fifth game on top of that where you got to play a home game. It wasn't like you had to go at Penn State. I mean, you got to play a home game against a team that's in your division. I just I, – this is not a, an incredible hardship. It's just not. Like if you had had if, – if Ohio State had had to play Penn State and Michigan back-to-back in the two weeks that it didn't have Chase Young, it may not be here right now to be talking about how many tough games it's had to play in a row. No, it's not. Any, I mean, if, the only real negative is like is Justin Fields is not a hundred percent, which is like because he's so valuable. That's that's a huge caveat. But everything else, no. I mean, we got the the you know, the whole little number of this is March Madness where you're trying to win six straight games and everything else. So, and also, like they've already been playing at this level because they've had no choice but to. With all due respect to Clemson, like their schedule isn't what Ohio State schedule is or what LSU schedule is. I mean, you can throw Oklahoma in there if you want to, but like. They are, they've already been playing this tier of a team, and so like now it's just like it's just a notch higher, but it's the same thing. And like, and like the point, like when Michigan's your last game, you're going to at least have four in a row like this. Yeah. Like yeah. Very, so it's, it's all about, I mean, yeah, yeah, so. that's a good point. I mean, it's not like you're going to, and very few teams end the season with a cupcake. All right, let's finish with this one. This is a good big picture one. And so just again, so you guys know, I'll, I'll keep sending out the call on text. We're gonna, we have a bunch of extra text questions we didn't get to. We'll get to these all week. Um, we'll keep trying to give you guys some more new information as we gather new information out here. Just to reset really quickly before we finish. We talked to the six Ohio State players and six Clemson players and two coaches from each side on Tuesday, Christmas Eve. Christmas Day, there are no interviews. The morning of the 26th is the media day for both teams. So that's everybody on both rosters. So we're going to have a lot of opportunity and a lot to talk about about that. Um, the 27th is the head coach's press conference in the morning, and that's it. And then the game is the 28th. So we will get together and do something uh, on Christmas, maybe shorter. We'll definitely have a big pot on the 26th after media day with all these things that we learned talking to these guys. And then we'll do another pot on the 27th 
after the head coach interviews that morning, and then we will do the post game after the game on the 28th. So we're going to keep you guys informed out here. Of course, you can follow us on text. Of course, you can read us at cleveland.com slash OSU from the 336. I've been a listener for three years now, and it makes my work week a lot better to have you guys to listen to. I'm the number one fan. Anyway, I feel like this is a must win for the Buckeyes to regain the confidence of the committee and the national audience of college football. As Ohio State fans, we have all been wondering if this was the game week to week that we would not show up. Slowly as the season went on, we realized that things are different now and Ryan Day has us going where we need to go. So the worry was that are we going to not show up and have a Purdue or Iowa thing? I don't feel like we get that respect from national viewers or the committee because of our recent past and our reputation in the playoffs since 2014. With the win against Clemson, we would regain that respect. But with the loss, I feel if we had a season like this again, the talk would be the Buckeyes are just a Big Ten team and it would be a lot harder to get that respect back. What do you think? How important is this game for the reputation of Ohio State football? I think it, there is some importance there only because there is a window of it's I'm not saying that there's no chance of getting back to, to this level next year obviously but as you were just saying the the sinking up of a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback and the rest of this offense and the rest of this what this is defensively that's sort of a generational convergence of things and I think if you miss this opportunity, especially if it's another 31, well, I don't think that's a possibility, but if it were a bad one, then, and you can't get back here next year, now it just kind of starts to linger a little bit. I think, I don't think, the 31, that's not happening. That's not that's happening, no, no, no. That is the only scenario where I think it, like, kind of messes with the future. If they come in here with the talent they have on both sides of the ball, one of the best, one of the best defenses in the country, one of the best offenses in the country. Two Heisman finalists on both, one on each side of the ball, thirteen and zero, all these different things, and then you lose thirty-one to nothing. Then yeah, it messes with the landscape. I think that's the only scenario where it does. Well, but, that, that, but the that question is not, possible. it's it's not a loss by like three points to a team Who, that might be just as good as you. Yeah, whoever wins this game will probably be favored to. Win to win the national championship, championship game, even that's if it gets against LSU in so, New Orleans. So I think if if you, if you I, I will revise mine to say that if it's a very competitive game, a great yeah, game, if, Ohio State just happens to lose, and then Clemson goes on and wins a national championship. I don't know that that really a, lo- a normal loss is like okay, these were two team the two teams who like are talently equated and probably the two best teams in the country at least from a number standpoint, and one beat the other one by a touchdown. I mean I, that's just a good right, let me ask game. this. Let me ask this right now. Sitting here today, what teams are on the very top level of college football? Clemson. Clemson Clemson is number one. How many are in the top tier before there's a drop-off at all? The top tier of programs in college football right now is who? Clemson, Alabama, and are clear cuts. And then I put Ohio State on the bubble there. And I think you've got to talk about Oklahoma being... Pretty close to that level. I mean, they keep getting back here pretty regularly too, and doing what they are with. You think they're on the same level as Alabama and Clemson? No, no. no. I think they're the. the no, I think, I think, they must be I think those three are the top, and then like Oklahoma. Why is, a, why is Ohio State with Alabama say, and Clemson? Yeah, I don't know that Ohio State can say it's on that level yet until it beats. I would argue that the top level is two teams. Yeah, as I, we sit here, I think I would probably agree with that. 
But one of those teams, but one of those teams is not in the playoffs for this the year. First for the first time, in, right? In and, but I'm saying one Clemson of those missed the first one, and Ohio and Alabama's missed a lot. One of those teams is not here, and Ohio State's playing the other one. Correct. So here's how you get to so right put now, yourself in that room. Clemson. This is the sixth playoff. Clemson and Alabama have both been in five. Ohio State's been in three. Right now, I think it be. I think it's pretty clear so that it's Clemson and Alabama. On I said on the bubble. I said on the like they're knocking at the door. They're just not in the so, room. If Ohio State loses to Clemson, what's the top level still? Clemson and Alabama. If Ohio State beats Clemson, what's the top level? Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. I'm sorry, yeah. they're in here. You, yeah, you you go okay. Yeah, so you go 15 and 0 with a first year head coach in this type so, of team. There in this. But so I think like winning this is a huge freaking deal it for is. Ohio State. Now, winning, losing by seven, losing by a field goal. I don't think you're up there yet. I th- okay. If you beat Clemson, because yeah. it's not, as we've discussed before, it's not that they've been losing to these playoff teams. They haven't been getting a chance. When they got a chance at Bama, they got one chance at Bama. They beat them. They've gotten a chance at Clemson, and they weren't ready for it. Now they're getting another chance at Clemson. If they beat Clemson, I think it says, when we get a chance at you, we can handle you. Give us a chance. Our problem was we didn't get the chance. If you lose to Clemson again... And again, part of it is I think people who know Ohio State know how good the program is, know how good the coaching is, the recruiting is, all the stuff. There is a north-south thing I think that exists here, but I think I think there is a perception nationally, and it's not this is not the most important thing to Ohio State. I think there is a national perception that is on the line that changes, if not a huge degree, to some degree with a win. I don't think that it's if they lose, they fall. I don't think if they I lose, they're still with, with Oklahoma yeah. and Georgia and it's, everybody else no. who's right below Alabama and Clemson. No, I don't think I, when I was like I, Oklahoma and Georgia aren't even at the door, like being able to present their case. Georgia was in the national title game two years ago, and what happened? So, well, I mean, but they've been in a national title game more recently than Ohio State has been. Right, and Oklahoma's right. been in the playoff three straight years. Right. I don't, saying, I I don't know that Ohio State is higher than Oklahoma and Georgia right now. Yeah, I don't think they I can think really. They I don't think you can plausibly say that. I think they are. They they very well could be by the end of this playoff. I think, I think they are. You think Ohio State's a better program than Oklahoma and Georgia? Yeah, I think so. I think if we're by these standards that you're presenting, it's Alabama and Clemson in a tier, and it's Ohio State, and then you've got Oklahoma and Georgia. Why is Ohio State ahead of Georgia? I mean. Oklahoma hasn't. They've gotten to the playoffs and they haven't done anything. Oh, no, Georgia did one. They got to the playoffs once and they okay. Yeah, they got to the national championship game and yeah, but, then what? But Ohio State hasn't been in the playoff the last two years and they got thumped out of it three years ago by the I, team in the first tier. And, uh, and, and Georgia, it's not like, like they, lost in overtime to Alabama in the national right, title game. Right. The other team that's up in that tier. I feel like I feel like Ohio State's loss to Clemson in 2016 is almost like not making the playoff. Like the way that it's perceived. Yeah. Um, I just think, I just think, and it's, it's about perception, and perception is not the most important thing. I just don't think that, like, like to the argument of Ohio, what the Ohio State thing is, like, if we get a chance at you, we can beat you. I don't feel the same way about Oklahoma and Georgia, where it's, if we get a chance at you, we can beat you. Um, I think if you ask most people, most people will put Clemson and Alabama on the top tier, like national football college football people yeah and they would have a second tier that includes ohio state georgia and oklahoma i don't think ohio state is in danger of falling 
I think Ohio State has an opportunity to rise. Wherever you think they are now, I don't think they're going to fall. I don't think a loss would hurt them. I think a win would elevate them and would elevate them back to where Ohio State fans think they should be, back to where Ohio State people thought they would be after the first year of the playoff. And I don't even know, I mean, would you have to, I mean, if they win the national title, of course. I mean, that's, I don't even know if you'd have to win the national title, but to get a game, a win back on the national scene like this, I think would let people know that Ohio State is back. I think it would let them know Ohio State is back. And, and if they lose, I think Ohio, people would still wonder, they're good. They're good. Of course they're good. Are they great? That's a lot. Like That's a lot, I think, that's on the line. But I think people also see this as... I think people look at this, this particular playoff as three really great teams at Oklahoma. And these two happen to be the ones that are playing each other. So somebody has to yeah. lose. In the same way that I don't think a, a, a Clemson but, loss hurts them necessarily. No, I, I don't think Clemson falls out of that top tier with right, the loss. Right. I think... I think if Clemson wins, the top tier remains Alabama and Clemson. If Ohio State wins, the top tier is then Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Clemson's not going anywhere. Right. Not with what they've done in the very recent past. I think it's that Ohio State has a chance to rise up to that. Let me double check the the playoff things. Is it the history here? Appearances? Alabama and Clemson each have five. Mm -hmm. This is the sixth year of the playoff. Yeah. Alabama and Clemson have been in five. Oklahoma has been in four. They have not won yet. They've lost in the semifinal each time. But they've made four out of six. Ohio State's been in three out of six. Georgia made it just that one time. But they also have knocked on the door. So the, the, the thing is, is after those five, then there's really a drop. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so I mean, if we're, if we're debating like... And honestly, you could even say, I mean, as, give, give Georgia credit for losing that game. But their mates... It may be two, two, and then Georgia starts the next tier. And because it's like, and because Georgia, the last three years is like Georgia lost the national title game. Last year they finished fifth, mm-hmm. and this year they finished fifth. Right? Were they five in the final? They were rankings? five or six. Uh, I think they were five. They were five because all because two, enough other teams lost too. Well, because and they put them, they kept them ahead of Oregon because right. that was a whole thing. They kept. Georgia as a two-loss non-champ ahead of a champ from another conference, just like they did with Ohio State last year. Right. They finished ahead of Ohio State. They so were fifth. It's that Georgia is more... God, I've been talking about Georgia for 15 <laughs> minutes. Can you add the podcast already? <laughs> is, it, is it the SEC bias? Or yeah. <coughs> Georgia is more Georgia, SEC than some of these other teams are. Georgia is late to the party because yeah. Mark Richt Georgia wasn't at this level. Right. But when you look at Georgia the last three years, what's Georgia's last three years? National title game loss, fifth-fifth. So yeah, yeah. And Ohio State's last three years are shut out in the playoff, sixth in the playoff, and we don't know what's going to happen yet. So actually, no, it's not. Sixteen's not three years ago. The last three years are barely miss it, barely miss it. Now they made it. Right. So Georgia and Ohio State, the last three years, both have made it once and barely missed it twice. So, um, but the bottom line is Ohio State is not on Clemson and Alabama's level. If they win, I think they are. I concur. That was a short podcast. That's our short. That's what how we do it short. 117. God. Sweating. Okay. We're going to keep doing these. Maybe not 117 every day. Definitely not on Christmas. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Make sure you're reading. Cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop us a review on iTunes. 
Uh, we'll bring you more from Arizona soon. For now, thanks for listening. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>